just heard Free Will from Idolatry by Devastation. This is the Thrash Extravaganza Patreon episode, bonus, number two, Devastation Idolatry 1991. This is a recommended podcast. I'm Mark. Wow, that was that was impressive. That was maybe the most impressive run that you've done thus far. Thank you. I took um, the headphones off so I didn't hear my slapback. Yeah, so you just kind of did it. You got to go for it. Slapbacks, uh, that's a cool term. I like that. There's... Yeah. um. In, in wrestling right now, there's um, there's this really shitty faction, and they have, like, the worst names, like, ever, and that sounds like the name of one of the people. I think there's a guy called, like, um, like Slapdash. Like, it's bad. It's like... Ooh, some remember, hockey references? Yeah, or something. Remember, like, in comics in, like, the early 90s, when they were just, like, spitting out, like, the most... Like, as many shitty heroes and villains as they could, because they were just, like chewing through everything and you were like where the fuck did they come up with this guy that's kind of what's going on right now with with that so like all of jim lee's uh whatever his image comic was called oh the wildcats yeah jesus (laughs) yeah or uh, what a turd Stormwatch, or yeah there's a lot of there's a lot of other things there um but yeah this is uh it's funny because i've been um you know you and i talked when we recorded holy terror the other day I, i said i watched a Chris Claremont documentary and it basically made me pull out like all my old X-Men's. And so I'm finally sitting down and I'm reading in order, um, from giant size X-Men like forward. I'm going to read the whole fucking like Claremont run. Um, or at least how long do you think one issue takes you to read? Those are so dense. Yeah, they're pretty dense. I'm up to one Oh four right now. So I've read like, 94 through 104 in the last couple of days. I just read like a like, 30 minute per book kind of thing. No, I would say I can probably, I can usually crank through them in like 15 to 20 if I'm not like super tired. Cause I usually read a couple or like one or two right before I fall asleep. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's, it's so far it's cool. It's um, for, for those of you patrons out there that don't know that era, that's kind of when, um, you know, Nightcrawler and Colossus and Storm and Wolverine uh, kind of joined and they kind of phased out some of the old original members. And um, I mean, I could, I could do a whole podcast on the history of the X-Men. That's my, that starts with the, isn't that the Dave Cockrum run where he goes for a couple years? Yeah. So I'm, on? I'm right in the uh, Cochran run right now. Um, okay. it, it's cool because what I'm starting to realize, and I think even Claremont sort of talked about it in the documentary is, and you probably know this as an artist that like different artists that Claremont worked with had like favorites. Mm-hmm. And um, it's, you know, it's kind of clear that Cockrum really likes Nightcrawler, which yes. is awesome. <laughs> Since yeah. he created him as well, or his look. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, but Cockrum also created Storm and Colossus and, and, and those characters. But it's just, you could tell he has like a special affinity for Nightcrawler. Yeah. And um, and it's funny reading the letters. And that's like kind of one of my favorite parts about pulling out these old comics is like, you know, you can read in trade paperbacks and that's awesome. Yeah. I I love, I mean, trade paperbacks have done a lot to like get people into like reading comics. And so I'm not knocking them, but there's something like, there's something different about reading like the issue by issue. And like, not only do I see like those fucking like grit commercials, like, (laughs) you know, and like just, just like the old ads and, and different things like that, but to read the letter page and see where people's like mentality was with the comic at that point, it's like, like a that was like the modern or the at the time that was like the comment section. Yeah, but it's like but it's so fascinating because like obviously I have historical context, and so yeah. like you read these letter pages and people like right away are like ah, 
I, I don't really like these new X-Men characters, you know, bring back the old. And then you could kind of start to see like, the, you know, the tides turning a little bit. And like one of the common themes, and this is so fucking hilarious when you think about like the last like 45 years of Marvel comics, everyone's like bitching and complaining about Wolverine. <laughs> They're like, mm, I, get rid of this guy. I don't he's really this like this tiny him. Canadian guy. Yeah. Like I don't really like he's not really doing much right now. And it's so fucking funny. And then all of a sudden, they like there was an issue where um, they kind of like went holiday shopping or something like that. So it was like they got to kind of let their hair down a little bit. And it's like I think the first issue that Wolverine like um, is that with Kitty Pride? No, Kitty Pride's still far away from from showing up. That's like okay. at the end of the Burn era is when Kitty Pride shows up. But um, he like starts a mall for... episode with her too, or issue. Yeah, 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 yeah. There's you know, this is like the first. Yeah, issue where i got a sense that claremont is really like understanding the characters and it's the one where he actually kind of starts to flirt with Jean gray for the first time and she fucking hates him and i'm like <laughs> and you could just tell like that's like the injection of like personality that wolverine started to you know need and then you can start to see in the letters where people are like you know what i'm starting to turn around on wolverine i kind of i'm kind of interested in who this guy is and blah, blah blah and you're like dude you don't even know he's gonna be the fucking biggest character in this company <laughs> you know in like two years and it's just really funny because people are like, eh, I don't know about this guy. And you're like, oh, shit, they're going to make movies about this guy forever. You know, well, it's so. also kind of telling that like nowadays nobody gets enough time to actually like test drive a character. If they don't hit right away, they're gone. But like most bands that we were listening to on this show, like most um, most comic books don't hit like X-Men went for years and years and just kind of barely skating by. They even like went on. That hiatus where they just reissued issues, yeah. yeah. Yeah, exactly. And what's crazy about this era is they're bi-monthly. They're not even full monthly yet because they're just, again, trying to, like, ease back into getting and winning people over. Yeah. And then you think of, like, where this comic's going to be probably in the next, like, 10 or 15 issues is where I think it, like, when Burn shows up, that, that mm -hmm. kind of helps it explode. But um, you just tell like people are like this is you know in the letter pages people you know the phoenix issue where she crashes the plane and then emerges as phoenix like people are like whoa that was one of the best comics i think i've ever read and you can just tell like the tone of i don't know like i compare it to like comics that were being written in like 1975 at the same time and you're like yeah this probably was like pretty fucking edgy you know what i mean or at least yeah. it was doing things that were different with characters so, well, so yeah so, it was kind of a, a book where they had to kind of do whatever just to get people to to try it out again. They had a lot exactly. more options, I guess, on there. Or they well, could take cool. some risks. Yeah, but you almost, like, see it in a way, like, with, like, TV shows today or comic books that, like, or, or like, even, like, movies and stuff that um, sometimes discarded characters can almost, like, do the most interesting things for you, you know? Mm -hmm. You think about, like, how, like, what a phenomenon, like, Guardians of the Galaxy was, for instance. Like, no one cared about those characters before. And so it gave, like, the director and the writers the freedom to just, like, run with it and be like, let's just, like, do something different here, you know, than what's been do done. Do what we want. Yeah, exactly. You know, and you see that, like, in, like, good TV shows, too. Like, you mentioned not being able to breathe, you know. I think that was one of the things, like, would X-Files have made it out of the first season in, like, 2020? You no. Know? There's a lot of duds in that first season, you know, and um, same with and Buffy really, and a lot of those Buffy, shows. Exactly. Yeah, like they just they they tested out a lot of ideas to see what would work, and I, I think that was cool, you know. Um, I mean, it's one thing to come out like fully formed, you know, out of the you know in, out of the embryonic stage, like that's awesome, you know, Breaking Bad and and some of those shows that do that, but 
you know, that wasn't like the, the landscape of like entertainment and pop culture, like, you know, back, back in the day, you know, I mean, yeah, even those like, are pretty few and far between even now. Yeah. I mean, look at the music industry, like music industry, like when they would sign bands in the 60s, 70s and 80s, like bands had time to like develop, like mm-hmm. they would, you know, invest in a band and be like, okay, we're going to sign you to three or four records. And, you know, we know maybe you're not writing hit songs yet, but like, we believe in your talent and we're just going to kind of see and try and grow you. And a lot of bands did really well because of that, you know, Mm -hmm. because they weren't like striving so badly to write like hit songs that they could actually like concentrate on like good, honest songwriting and stuff. So I don't know. It just gives you a good kind of support structure to go. It's like being in a good relationship or something. Like you've got, it gives you the confidence to, to like spread your wings and try a little more without having to worry about just pay the bills or whatever, just get by yeah. Yeah. And I'm kind of curious, like, uh, you know, you as like a, somebody that makes their money off of like kind of talent and, and artistic ability and, and things like that, like, have you noticed uh, like a, a shift in kind of like how you have to sell yourself in terms of like getting jobs or like, I don't know, like, I guess, have you seen like the, the changing times in your kind of career in that sort of department? Mm, as far as, as far as like building up a, uh, like, are you trying to make a, a corollary to the music industry there? Well, or just like, just you as like a, an artist, you know, who makes, you know, who who does creative stuff. Like, do you notice like the way that I, I'm trying to think of how I want to phrase the question, but, you know, you're kind of talking about how like uh, maybe a couple of decades ago, people had more of like creative chance to like test out like different ideas. Do you see that it from like a artist standpoint, like way different today? Well, the internet's become the great equalizer. So, you know, you didn't have to build those relationships physically, you know, um, now. And plus, if you've been in the industry for a while, like people start to come to you for what you do, as long as you do the same type of stuff, you know, for a considerable amount of time. I don't really reach out to other people for work very often. People come Uh, to you. I could probably get more if that was the case. Yeah. But people kind of come to me, I think, now for what they assume I can do for them aesthetic wise. Got it. Do you think, what do you think has been like the biggest kind of gateway for that? Do you think it's decibel or do you think it's like some of the, the comic stuff that you've done or, or any idea based on like, it's it's a mix. Um, I think decibel metal hammer, like doing stuff every month. That's a pretty good way to get like people have seen my stuff. Yeah. And seen like how much I do the, the breadth of how different it can be. And I think after a while, people are sick of the same type of, you know, seeing the same type of art in metal. Yeah. So like even in the eighties, they had little, you know, people had dipped their toe into the, the more cartoony thing. And I think there's a little bit more of that now there's more, I think there's more people in, as far as the demographic of metal is so different now that there's more people. um, It's not just that very specific, you know, like painted album cover, kind of thing you've got people of all stripes listening to this music now so that kind of opens up the the whole aesthetic of metal i think and to yeah. just the type of illustration that i do yeah no i can see that that makes a lot of sense you know no, i was just kind of curious just because like as we're talking about that like you know for me teaching's just i mean teaching changes but it's like consistent in a sense like yeah. There's a lot of like bullshit that keeps getting added on and, and paperwork and, and accountability stuff that like didn't really exist back then. 
and not all of it's bad, but some of it's just more like headache. It kind of gets in the way of like doing like the better part of your job, you know, just doing the work. Yeah. The bureaucracy and everything. Yeah. That's, that's kind of that. But for the most part, I haven't seen like a lot of shift, you know, obviously the internet sort of changes things in terms of like the access to technology that we have to do some of the things, you know, I think like my first few years I had like overheads that I was still using in class, you know what I mean? And it's like, now like that sounds kind of absurd, you know, to like hand write out stuff, you know, and then put it on an overhead and broadcast it on the screen. And well, the good thing with overheads though, you could kind of do stuff on the fly because you could draw right on it. And um, like the, the only thing that could go wrong with that is the light bulb. Yeah. Yep. So, (laughs) yeah. I mean, nowadays I just use like the, the whiteboard to, if I'm doing stuff on the fly and then they have like, um, God, I, I have one in my room. I can't remember what the hell it's like a document camera. Mm-hmm. That basically you can like turn on and like put over a piece of paper and it'll like broadcast it into the computer screen via. Yeah. That's kind of cool. Like if you're like, if I was a math teacher, I would like, or English teacher, I might use that a lot more to like show kids how to like do, you know, problems and stuff like that. And, mm-hmm. like, or have a kid come up and do it. You know, and so like everybody else can kind of see their like work going, but you can do that with whiteboards. I mean, I don't know. So yeah, I did that with um, when I was living in Ann Arbor. I did some workshops for the library over there, some art workshops. Yeah, and that was pretty it. helpful for kids to see like how I did stuff, how I used certain tools, and yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, so but I don't get to do stuff like that right now, Mark, because I'm virtual, <laughs> <laughs> and that's uh. And that's, that's why we're actually able to record this today at uh, like noon, one o'clock, because uh, this is the, my office hour day of doing teaching or, or whatever. I don't know. Uh, I'm not going to go into it because our, our patrons have heard me talk about it on the normal episodes and stuff like that. But, uh, but yeah, so it's been, uh, we're, we're kind of grinding down the end of um, 2020 here, which is a good feeling, I think, for everyone. And um Coming to the end of our, our thrash metal journey, we just posted uh, part seven, I think was Holy Terror, and we'll be, you know, um, we got kind of three three last episodes. Um, I will share something kind of cool for our patrons, kind of some inside info. Um, I spoke with our, our esteemed colleague, um, you know, Mr. Chris Dick the other day, um, who's coming home for Christmas, and I said, hey, timing wise, um, we'll probably be close to recording like part 10, which is forbidden. Um, I know you're like a big forbidden fan if you want to sit in on it. And he's like, Oh dude, I'm way pumped for that. And he even said he might, he's really good friends with the uh, vocalist, uh, Craig uh, Lociaro, I think his name is. Mm-hmm. And he's like, would you be interested in having him like do something for him? Like, yeah, if he wants to record like a little, you know, like, I don't know, so, some kind of, you know, reflective kind of little five minute thing or something like, absolutely. Like, I, you know, we're up for anything really. So, so yeah, it's kind of great. Cool. Trying to you have know. five people on a call would be terrible, but yeah, no, exactly. Yeah. That's, that's not what we want. So, <laughs> but just like, uh, you know, it's kind of nice when like Wagner does like a little recording or Joseph Schaefer and, and things like that. Cause it's just it's easier, cleaner, you know, that kind of thing. So yeah, I, I prefer that as well, but yeah, unless so it was all cool. people in person, it'd be different, but yeah, yeah. If you're all sitting around, you can kind of like feel the pauses. I mean, that's yeah. that's one of like the the weird things. I know, like uh, my roommate was asking me the other days, like, man, is it like hard for you and Mark to do, you know, Zoom like what we're doing right now? Um, and I said, I think if we didn't like do this for so long, we might. But like, we understand most of the time, like our pauses. Like, you know, what I mean, it's like mm-hmm. almost like uh, psychic, you know, yeah. because we've done it for so long. But I said, like. 
if you're bringing in like an outsider, they don't have that same kind of like psychic read of everybody, you know, and play off of each other as well. So then you want to be stepping on people constantly either. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, we talk over each other, but like, I think we recognize when we do it and then like pass the mic as soon as we do it, but it's, it's, you know, it's always going to happen, you know, but um, yeah. So here we are devastation Um, from uh, where I, I like the, the geography of our journey that we've been on a lot here. Um, our last patron episode was Arizona with, with Flotsam and Jetsam. You know, we've obviously been on the, the uh, West coast quite a bit, LA and in San Francisco, we've been over into New York. We, we, we traveled through the Midwest a little bit. Um, and here we are in Corpus Christi, Texas for the oh, first yeah. time. Yeah, man. So is that, off, uh, is that off the Gulf? I believe so. I believe it's near like down near yeah. Houston. I think so. Yeah, I think it's down in that kind of area. Good with definitely near geography. near the border, somewhat. Um, you know, based on some of the members too, that it looks like there's a lot of uh, Latino, you know, uh, influence in terms of like a lot of the band members that were were part of the band at times. You know, yeah, so, like three fifths of this album seems yeah, to be yeah. Hispanic, and even like in the the early stuff. You know, their first album they had, you know, the drummer was Jesse Lopez. You know, and, and stuff like that, which he he didn't last, but. Um, yeah, so they're uh, I don't know. Curiously, what you know? What were your thoughts when you first approached these guys? Because you were f- relatively unfamiliar with them up until like the last couple of weeks. Um, and I always like to. This one of my pleasures of doing this whole thrash extravaganza journey is like I'm always like a um, a couple like a week or two ahead of Mark because I'm kind of curating it, and then like I get to like kind of hear Mark's thoughts in terms of like if he thinks the same things I do or you know gets a different vibe. Just kind of curiously, what what do you uh, what was your take on adultery as a whole? Oh, sorry, I was just looking at the map. Oh, did you find out where Corpus Christi was? So Corpus, if you, it's it's in the Gulf. It's almost okay. right by the you know little point at the bottom of Texas. Yeah. So it's there's Corpus Christi, and then just north of that, San Antonio and Austin. Okay, got it. But it's the close. It's like the closest large town near Mexico, except for like Laredo. Yeah, I, th- I thought it was near the border. Does that make sense? That's if kind you look of it cool... up on Google, it says uh, the first suggested thing uh-huh. is, uh, is Corpus Christi ghetto? <laughs> <laughs> People also ask, wow, is, is it safe to live? Huh? Yeah, I wonder now, you know, it's probably way different than it was in the 80s, you know, um, with some of the, like the, the drug overflow and, and some of the weird border shit that kind of happens in in certain ways so huh no i guess about uh, so so my question was what what were your initial sort of like what was your initial read on on adultery well the first first thing is that it cemented if like slayer is the most important band in extreme metal yeah yeah um the, the slayer worship all the way yeah there's so many like especially like some of the riffing the breakdown riffing uh, there's lots of sepultura yeah, the, the drumming might be. What's this dude's name? I thought I highlighted it. The one on this one, it's Dave Lozano. Who? Um, yes. He actually had been in the band previous, and I'll get to the history of the band, and then he comes back for adultery. So he's kind of my favorite part of this, as far as like the propulsive nature of the record. Yeah. He just could. The drum production's really great. Um, Scott Burns. Scott Burns. Who's, yep. You know, he's kind of got his formula down at this point. But this has a lot more bass. It doesn't have like the typewriter drums that like Monstrosity would have, and yeah, um, it just sounds a little more organic. For sure, 
And I think like what you heard there in free will, you know, um, it's got like a beneath the remains arise, you know, more a sound sepultura sort of feel, uh, dripping all over, you know, this, this record. It's almost like all the, the presets for that, for beneath remains and arise, they just came in and recorded after that. Yeah. That's what we want. We want that. Exactly. (laughs) And I know reading some interviews with devastation, they said like one of the bands that influenced them the most besides Slayer was dark angel. Um, I can see that for the speed here, hear some of that kind of stuff too. But, um, I think, you know, once you get to this record and maybe I, I would disagree on some of the earlier stuff that we'll talk about in a moment, um, the vocals, um, Rodney Dunsmore uh, is the vocalist, uh, not Rich Dunslager the second, uh, but Rodney <laughs> Dunsmore. Um, he, he's got a lot of like Jeff from Possessed in his vocals, uh, Bacara. Um, yeah, that's probably his number one guy. Yeah. There's a little uh, bit of old Chuck, you know, from yeah. Death in there. A little These bit, and then a little bit of Chuck Billy, too. Yep, yep, I can hear that, too. These guys famously were, were really good friends with Death, actually. Um, oh, okay. They toured with them on the... They opened for him on, like, most of the spiritual healing um, tour. Um, you know, they toured with, I think, Dark Angel in, like, 88 or 89. Um, they toured with, you know, Death famously, and then uh, there was a third band that they toured with that kind of was a big deal. Um I had it written down somewhere and I don't know where I put it. Um, well, I toured at times of malevolent creation and demolition hammer, which makes sense. Um, eh, I lost it. Hmm. I thought I had it. Oh, they, they even, uh, they opened for trouble in King diamond on like the trouble King diamond tour, which was like, it's a, weird, what a bill. Weird, weird combination. Exactly. Yeah. And they said that they played before a crowd in Mexico city, I think like 25,000 people, which was like their biggest show that they had. So Jesus, uh, yeah, even before they were signed, before they released anything, they um, their first live show in Texas was opening for Anthrax. So they had a pretty good, pretty good pedigree of, of getting hooked up with some of the right bands and stuff like that. So yeah, what yeah. that local scene was back then with I've never heard much about the Corpus Christi metal scene. No, and I don't know if there was a scene in in Houston or Austin at that time. Um, trying to, where's Pantera out of? Um, were they out of? Dallas area or Austin area? I can't even remember. Shit, I don't remember. So, yeah, I was just Fort, talking to Chris Fort Worth? about this. Were they Fort Worth? That sounds familiar for some reason. Okay. So, yeah, and I in an interview, um, they were talking about, they were interviewing Rodney Dunsmore. It's one of the few I sort of found. Um, but they said, uh, the interviewer asked, to this day, the 80s Texas metal scene is regarded as one of the strongest and most influential scenes of the era, which... I found surprising. I was like, oh, hmm. I asked him, in your opinion, what made the Texas metal scene so unique? Um, he says, you're right. I totally agree. Um, I can't say wh- I know why, though. We definitely had such a wide range of, oh, I forgot about Watchtower. Okay. Watchtower okay. was kind of a big, big band. Um, and then there were power metal bands like Carry On and Cirrus, he says. And there was a thrash band called Rotting Corpse, um, which Not I don't know Corpse. Rotting Corpse. Do you know them? No. Okay. Um one of the dudes, uh, the guy who drums on Signs of Life, their second record, Louis uh, Carrizales, he came from Riding Corpse. But again, I don't have okay. uh, But basically, he just said um, it was a special time and era for music. And I think for the most part, all the bands helped each other out. Uh, I know a lot of the European people appreciate that time frame of Texas metal. So that's weird. So like Europe hmm. was into, like, 
He says, I guess all the bands were so different and had their own sound. In California, there used to be a Bay Area sound. And in New York, you had overkill anthrax SOD thing. Uh, but you can never really define the Texas metal sound because what the hell would that be? <laughs> so it makes sense. So yeah, it says uh, Pantera was from the Fort Worth, Dallas. They're from Arlington. That's okay. like the Tri Cities area. Got it. They seem like a Dallas band. Um, yeah. yeah. That's all I'll say. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and I like, I'm not a Pantera hater as much as a lot of people are. They were a big, big gateway band for me and my friends because we were a little bit younger and. I've sort of grown to love those 80s um, Pantera records quite a bit. I kind of enjoy those more than the latter, to to be honest. Yeah, and I get it. Like You guys were way, way out of that sound. Um, Vulgar was a big record. Vulgar was kind of like what Arise was, I think, for you and Chris. You know, it just was such a kick in the dick to, like, middle school kids that, you know, didn't have access to, like, other things, you know. And I I think it kind of stays there as as being a adolescent thing it is it is the you know i'm never impressed with like the lyrics um on like no. a lot of pantera stuff and i respect what they did and how big they got and didn't compromise did whatever they wanted or whatever yeah but man trying to go back and listen to anything pre cowboys from or uh, post cowboys from hell i'm just like even cowboys yeah. sounds good but listen to vulgar i feel embarrassed yeah <laughs> yeah i mean it's just it is kind of neanderthal metal almost you know it's just like it it kind of fulfills the same thing that I think new metal filled for like younger kids that were like younger than us. Right. Yeah, that's, like, that's pretty well hate, put. Hate your parents, like aggression, just like, you know, you have this new drug flow in your system called testosterone and you don't really know what the fuck to do with it. And you, fuck know, you, you like, don't understand me. Yeah, man. I'm, I'm so mad. Hostile. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there's a, there's a couple songs on vulgar that I still like, I kind of smile at like by demons be driven is kind of like ridiculously heavy for like that such a mainstream record but yeah but yeah there's a lot of really fucking dumb lyric i make mean, i hate walk like i get why walk is like appreciate it because it is catchy but man that song just annoys the fuck out of me now so yeah uh, and even when we were into pantera we never liked that song that was like the one song that like all the like non-pantera people sort of liked and like that kind of annoyed us so we by default didn't like it that was their video too, wasn't it? Yeah, I mean they had a lot of videos. You know, they had a video for This Love and Mouth for War, but um, but yeah, Walk was like their big hit, you know, or whatever. And I don't know, just at a certain point, probably that happened with bands that you guys were into, that like you liked the whole catalog, but like the like mainstream only like one song, and so you just kind of like eh, I don't really fucking care about that song anymore now because it's like yeah, other people stole it from you, you know. So you're like <laughs> eh, whatever, <laughs> you could have that song. I'll listen to the rest of this shit, but, but yeah, like Texas, I've never really thought of it. You know, I guess, like I said, Watchtower, I kind of forgot that they were from Texas and I know Chuck was a big Watchtower fan. I see him wearing like a lot of Watchtower shirts, um, especially in that death documentary that I rewatched the other day. Yeah. So, you know, they're a cool band. I, I have some of their stuff. Um, you, again, kind of hard to wrap your head around on it, unless you really dive into it a bit, you know, it's kind of got that tech, tech, death, tech thrash kind of thing going for it, but um, but yeah, these guys are, they're just an interesting band because, um, they really have these auspicious beginnings in a sense. Um, and I remember it, what's funny is when I did the, you know, when I was doing the history heavy metal countdown and we got to 1987, um, you know, I even have it here. I wrote Corpus Christi served as the home for devastation 
who served up a traditional raw helping of Black and Thrash with their debut Violent Termination. Some of it's pretty stock and lo-fi, but there is a retro charm to tunes like Massive Devastation. And I didn't really think much of it. And I honestly didn't have a song from Signs of Life when I did 1989. I haven't gotten to 1991 yet. And so like, I never really thought of Devastation as like a band that mattered. And then when we did the poll, um, you know, I kind of polled on Facebook and amongst the patrons, this album got a lot of, of play. And so I was like, well, I should at least like listen to it. If like, it's like kind of like when, when Joe Schaefer was like, dude, you got to check out Act of God from Snow White. And I was like, okay, I mean, I, I'm up for it, I guess. I just, it never really was on my radar screen as like a thrash band that like anybody cared about. And then the more I started deep digging into it, I was like, whoa, this, this album has a pretty, pretty esteemed reputation but I never really heard about it before. And the fact that it was recorded at Morris sound, it was on combat. Like, mm -hmm. did you and Chris know about this band in 1991 at all? No. Cause if, well, Chris, I can't speak for Chris, but for me, like 91, there was so much other stuff going on that this seems too retro to really yeah. be like interesting or like to pop up on my radar. Okay. That makes sense. I did ask Chris about it the other day and he, you know, he, He's, I think he appreciated it. Um, I was trying to talk him into Snow White. Um, he was he was a little resistant on that. He had a bad Cyclone Temple experience, I realized. I don't know if he ever explained that to you, but I, I get it. Um, it's very similar to my Souls at Zero death symbolic experience. <laughs> um, and I need to share this story because it's so perfect. It's a great story that patrons will like sort of appreciate. But Chris was telling me that he, uh, he was shopping in Flint and he was at Wyatt Earp. Uh, records and Scott Carlson was actually working there and he kind of knew who Scott was a little bit but he didn't know a lot about repulsion at the time and he walked up he says 91 and he mm -hmm. said he walked up to the counter and um, he had Morbid Angel I think it was Alters and he had Cyclone Temple in his hand and he goes I go, only got money for for one of these tapes uh, which one should I buy and Scott Carlson was like well you can't go wrong Morbid Angel that's that's the way to go and Chris said he like stared at the two of them and then he put Morbid Angel back and like walked up with Cyclone Temple and Scott Carlson, Scott Carlson goes to your money. <laughs> and so he took it home and he was like, it was fine. But then when he finally heard Alters, like uh, I'm sure he heard it like pretty quick after that. Yeah. He said he was so pissed off that he like resented Cyclone Temple and by default he's resented Snow White. And he just hasn't been able to get over that emotional hurdle. And I was like, I, I get that. That happened to me with the Ron Platzer, you know, <laughs> which album should I buy story. Yeah. But uh, I don't know. I was just like laughing, just like the way like he and I were like laughing on the phone when Scott Carlson just shrugged and goes, it's your money. <laughs> <laughs> and it's funny now to think like how influential the like a person Scott Carlson is and the fact that like, if he tells you to buy Morbid Angel, like you should probably listen to Scott Carlson. You know what I yeah. mean? Like it's just one of those things. So, but he he seemed to like. I think he knew Adultery because Chuck talked about it a little bit. So I think he knew it through his like fandom of, of like early Death Records and things. So okay, it could. But, it uh, seems like something that would have been like tape traded. Got it in the early nineties yeah. or something. But yeah. like you know when everything was so like you have very limited amount of money. And you, you're trying to get like those big key records, like stuff like this just kind of falls by the wayside. And that's kind of what Chris was sort of saying when he was talking about like why you guys probably didn't, you know, zoom in on, you know, the Snow Whites and the Morbid Saints and, and Devastations and, 
a lot of the bands we've been kind of covering in this this journey because you know pre-spotify pre-youtube like you know you had to do a pretty heavy investment um in dropping 10 bucks down and you were going to really probably drop it down for your a tier bands and maybe your b tier bands but some of these bands might qualify as like either just distinctly underground or maybe even like c tier at the time in terms of like how much they were promoted and, and things like that yeah so. even like joe schaefer was talking about how he discovered snow white was through um bit torning and stuff yeah like just finding looking finding stuff randomly uh on the internet so they're like that the cost of admission that was the big thing for us like we had to be real specific because everything was so expensive and we worked at burger king yep and i remember doing like negotiations and and you know you were always lucky if you had like a group of friends like you know you and chris kind of were buying stuff together but like when grand corcoon and i would go and um you know i think we were in middle school when we i think eighth grade maybe eighth or ninth grade but i remember going up to warehouse records which was the the rival um record store to the one that mark and i worked at new moon and they had a better metal selection at that point like prior to i think chris you know, starting to work at New Moon and, and starting to invest stuff there. And we basically flipped a coin over who was going to buy Tomb of the Mutilated and who was going to buy Covenant. And I ended up getting Covenant and he got Tomb of the Mutilated. And the whole idea was we were going to go home and then dub it for the other person. And so you kind of had two incomes. You, you know, you had to be like strategic in terms of like how you got all the music to, to each other. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. And then that kind of like softened the blow if one wasn't great. Then you knew yeah. that oh, I'm not going to spend eighteen ninety nine on the CD because it's really not that good. Yeah, boy, at that time in ninth grade, Grand Corcoon really felt like he got the short end of the stick because Tomb of the Mutilated is is a great record now. Like I yeah. love it. Like it's very samey when you first hear it. If you don't have like a much of a palate for death metal, it's just yeah. like. Whoa. Whereas like Covenant, like, I mean, you get rapture right off the bat and you're like, okay, <laughs> you know, like Covenant's immediate. Yeah. Yes. And, and the songs had variety, you know what I mean? Like there, it felt like there was like, you know, angel of disease felt way different than rapture and, and, you know, God of emptiness and, you know, stuff like I that. I think that's so, the Covenant's the best selling death metal album of all time. Yeah, I think so. It was on giant, right? Yeah. So I got to imagine it's, you know, that, or I think the first deicide moved a lot of units um maybe cause of death um i mean cannibal since their inception like they have a pretty like i don't know I, I was looking at some article that was talking about total sales and cannibal's pretty huge if you look for the entire you know for discography yeah since their sense. beginning because they still are relevant whereas a lot of those bands have kind of dropped off of like irrelevancy or they just don't put out records on a regular basis you know yeah um, like I think after once upon a cross, most people that I knew kind of fell off of deicide, you know, I mean, they have a few like albums that are kind of more interesting than others after that, but it's few and far between, you know, and deicide was always, I think half of it was music and half of it was reputation. Yeah. And after they stopped being like, how many times can you burn a cross in your head? Like you sure. can't use that headline that long. I did discover, um, what was it that I discovered? I think I was, uh, you and I had a conversation about it like probably months ago, but um, let's see, where's it at? Yeah, look it up. Deicide. It was the um, Stench of Redemption. Um, 
I, I think it was when I was getting those old, I, I started buying a bunch of old terrorizers um, to do research for some stuff. And um, I think it's Stench of Redemption is the one that has, um, yeah, Jack Owen on it and Ralph Santola. Mm -hmm. And so like uh, Terrorizer, that? that was like 2006. And like, you know, we didn't give a shit about DSI 2006 at so all. So is that right after Owen left Cannibal? It must be. I must be so, okay. but like the it got like nine nine out of ten in Terrorizer, and they're like, "This is the best Deicide since like maybe Legion." And I was hmm. like, "Hmm." And I like listened to a couple songs on Spotify, and like, it's top notch. And so I, I ended up picking it up, and I was like, "This is really fucking great." And it has a eighty seven percent on on Metallium. So were the Hoffman know. brothers on that one, or did they leave no. for a while? Yeah, that's like post Hoffman. So it's okay. Ralph Santola and Jack Owen and Santola. He went on to obituary. Yeah, I think he was in obituary, but who was he in? I think yeah, he was he's on... in obituary now for lead guitar uh, player. Yeah, he played. No, he was 2007 to 2011. So he was on like Executioner's mm. Return, Darkest Day. Um, hang on, I'm looking past bands. Hmm. Yeah, I don't know if he's in any bands right now. Looks like all his. his he didn't die, did he? Uh, he may have passed away. Yeah, 2018. Okay, that's what I thought. So, but anyways, it's, it is kind of weird how, you know, yeah, Deicide really did sort of create a reputation. I mean, we were scared of him in middle school. That was like the appeal. Like when we got like Legion on cassette tape, we would like troll people we'd like put it on at like parties and just like wait for people's like faces to just be like, Oh my God. Like, <laughs> you know, and we'd be like, this is real satanic stuff. Like, you know what I mean? It was like almost yeah. like dangerous. Like, you know, that's, we felt we were playing with fire with that record. And um, I think, once... I Oh, go ahead. Oh no, go ahead. What were you going to say? Let's say once like dark throne and mayhem that was on a radar, all that stuff seemed like, you know, Oh, passe. Bullshit. Yeah. I'm sure. Yeah. yeah. Cause it was just all talk, you know? Yeah. Um, we didn't know about black metal at that point. We were, <laughs> we were very naive. Um, I think that was like 93 when, when we got a hold of the Legion, but I yeah. remember we wanted to like troll one of our friends um, who he was the one friend that like went on the full like grunge journey with us. And he was very reticent about like Slayer, like Slayer kind of worried him a little bit. And um, his, his family was like pretty Catholic, I think too. Mm -hmm. And he just didn't go like, you know how you keep opening doors and he just didn't walk through those like heavier doors with us. Like I think Pantera was like, and maybe Sepultura was like the peak of him. Was this uh, the guy that we went to see bad Santa with? No, not that okay. guy. No, no, not that guy. Um, that guy, we never tried to push that stuff on because he just, he was on a different journey. He was just like our sports friend. And then like eventually I got him into like Amorphous and The Gathering and Rage Against the Machine and stuff like that. So shout out to John Hoyle. He's still a good friend. Um, but uh, no, this is a guy named Matt who was, um, um, he lived over on like Cherry Street and Pine, kind of over that area. Okay. Um, you might have known his younger brother. His younger brother kind of hung out with us when we were in college. Um, he actually dated Aaron, your neighbor, um, for a little bit. Okay. Um, but anyways, yeah, the Goupels. I don't know if you remember them. No one, none of our patrons are gonna know. I but, remember uh, the name, but I couldn't tell you. I couldn't pick them out of a lineup. But we we decided one time um, that we wanted to like lure him into a trap, 
So what we did is we took the blue grape like insert in the Legion thing and we took the Legion tape out like the the <laughs> Legion like all the stuff that would like qualify as like deicide and the song titles and all that and we basically used the blue grape insert to create a new cover and then like blacked out some of the song titles I don't know how we did it we did it in a way where it wasn't like immediate and then we basically like left the tape in his room so that he would just like be like oh what is this tape and he'd like put it on and just like he'd hear you know satan spawn the keiko demon and just be like what the fuck you know so we thought we were really really clever in ninth grade to, to put this ruse on and stuff but i i think he like was like he just had this look like what the fuck is this like he wasn't scared he was just like annoyed you know we're like yeah. ah, damn it didn't what's work. wrong with this tape yep exactly so we tried we tried hard so that's what i remember about deicide legion that's like the, the the one thing i remember about that but um but yeah so that i mean i think that it is kind of interesting that era you know a lot of albums kind of falling through the cracks a little bit um and they even said in some of the interviews i read about that they they openly would like talk on stage at concerts about like what a shitty company combat was and how combat <laughs> wasn't like pushing them or promoting them at all and um, they were a pretty small company too well and he's uh rodney dunsmore was talking about how by 91 they were basically phasing completely out of metal mm-hmm. and so they just kind of happened to like peak at the wrong time you know because i think death had left combat by you know by 90 91 because i think human was on was human was on, on roadrunner yeah i thought so um or metal blade or i, I can't remember who put that out but I'm pretty sure it wasn't combat. I think spiritual. Yeah, I think they were on Roadrunner. The rest of their crew. Well, they were on Roadrunner and the Nuclear Blast. Yeah, I know Symbolicers Roadrunner. Was Individual Thought Roadrunner? Why do I think that that record? I thought so. I don't know. Now I gotta look it up. But um, the um, that was that you know that was just a problem. You know, is that combat was was kind of just like I said phasing out on it. Holy shit! When you look up the Death discography, just all the tapes the rehearsal tapes and demos it's like yeah it's hilarious relativity right. relativity okay yeah so i didn't think it was roadrunner they don't get to roadrunner until symbolic so um individual was, was on this, relativity who was the subsidiary of relativity were they attached to somebody else i think so okay yeah i don't know that i always kind of remember album let me see relativity do 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 um, was a record distributor. Yeah, I don't know. Hmm. I don't know. Anyways, I'm sure this is really fascinating for for the patrons. <laughs> but but uh, so let's get let's get kind of into devastation for a second. We'll kind of you know get into their early stuff and then play some songs and kind of come back and talk more about uh, where idolatry sort of comes out of. So the problem with this band, as I kind of mentioned before, is if you're only familiar with their debut, Violent Termination. Um, you're gonna have some issues um the band formed in february 86 and it was rodney dunsmore dave burke alex Dominguez, uh, and jesse lopez on drums and um they decided to put out uh violent termination i'm trying to remember what label put it out but it's pretty small um and boy violent termination as you're going to hear in this this song coming up here massive devastation it's about as stock and mediocre as 1987 thrash gets. Um, I don't know. It's pretty unimaginative. Uh, the vocals lack kind of a lot of passion. I guess he had like a hardcore background. Rodney Dunsmore did. 
Okay. But I don't hear it here. I mean, I just, I don't know what your vibe was, but it just is not good. Though the um, bass right off the way, it just sounds, it sounds like you're playing it in jello or something. It sounds like shit. Yeah. Um, and for a guy that you just heard on Free Will, like really killing it on the vocals, like Dunsmore is just, like I said, he was probably the most disappointing part for me. I think the only thing that really like jumps out to me on Massive Devastation is Dave Burke's solo. Like that's where you actually hear like some potential immediacy in this band. And you're like, okay, I could, you know, maybe grab onto like a nugget there, but boy, um, you know, it's, it's, it's just weird. What's kind of going on with, it wasn't the lyrics that got you the massive Uh devastation remorse is not too late. No, I didn't even look up the lyrics. Uh, (laughs) I just heard it. (laughs) He just repeats it. Yeah. The lyrics surprisingly on adultery are pretty good. Um, So he, you know, he did come into his own as like a, a lyric writer, Rodney Dunsmore did. But I guess what sort of happened was, um, you know, they get rid of Jesse Lopez and they bring in um, Dave Lozano, um, the guy you heard actually drumming on Adultery. And they record a demo um, and the demo is called Contaminated. And that demo in 88 gets them signed to combat. So it's almost like they went back to square one and like redid the band with some members and then like, I didn't hear the contaminated demo, but apparently it had like some vibrancy to it enough that it got combat's attention and then they get signed and then they put out signs of life in 89. And, uh, I was joking to Mark before we, uh, we record it. I said, maybe the most literal album title ever in metal history. Um, because like, wow, for a band that really stunk it up. And I mean, like, if you look at the, um, now I got to tell you, on if you go on Metallium and you look at Violent um, Devastation or Violent Retribution, sorry, the Violent Termination kind of came and talked. They have two reviews, okay? What would you guess the percentage of those two reviews average out to for their debut? 33%. Try 18%. Ooh. <laughs> and so... Again, I think when I put this band on the countdown and a lot of times if I don't know much about the band, I'll like kind of, you know, go to Metallium just to see if there's like a nugget of, of something or like trying to pick out like a good song to, to play for the History Heavy Metal Countdown. And I remember seeing that and be like, ooh, should I even put these guys on the countdown? And I didn't really look past, you know, that the fact that when you get to Signs of Life, it jumps from 18% to 88 and that Adultery has 96%. So clearly like i said signs of life like brought these guys back from the brink and and it's it's a i mean it's kind of the formula that they're going to use in adultery that you hear in uh the song we're going to play tomorrow we die from signs of life um you know you bring in a second guitarist too mm-hmm. um uh what's his name henry elizondo so now you have two guitar players which i think really beefs up their sound um, unfortunately, Dave Lozano, who did the drumming on the demo, Contaminated, he leaves and they bring in a guy from Rotting Corpse, who I mentioned before, Louis uh, Carrizales. And, you know, that's, that's, there you go. And Dunsmore sounds a lot better here. He adds a little bit more, I think. I start to hear more like Mike Muir style vocals, like yeah, style tendency exactly. type stuff, you know? And uh, yeah, and I think a song like Tomorrow We Die, which we'll hear, like it really predicts the future more than a lot of the rest of uh, what you hear on that record. There's some uh, weird like Voivod Pestilence Dissonance stuff in the beginning of that song too. Yeah, yeah, that's a that's a good call. I heard a lot of Pestilence on this record at times. I think I wrote it down for a couple songs, you know, like kind of Testimony of Agents. And, and I think um, a lot of it has to do with the weird production that nobody really knew how to do it very well yet. 
Yeah. Yeah. Which leads I don't to that. Think, I don't think uh, Burns did Signs of Life. Um, let me look, though. Additional numbers. Sure. Well, real quick on our uh, combat talk there. Combat yeah. and Relativity were sister labels. No shit. Yeah, and then Relativity was acquired by Sony in uh, 2007. So do you think a lot of the combat bands, just like when combat started to shut down, they just kind of leaped back over to Relativity? Is that That's kinda... what it seems like. And Relativity, for a while, they weren't as much of a record label as a distributor. Got it. So They, were they probably turned like, into what... like Red Distribution. Okay. I just know that from working at, record, at the record store here the last 10 years or whatever. And like, uh, that's kind of like the relationship that happens sometimes with like um, Snapper, Music for Nations, Coke Records, right? Yeah. They yeah. were all in bed with each other and some were distributors and some were labels. And I just remember like, it got really confusing to figure out like what label Anathema and Opeth were on in like the late 90s, early 2000s for a while, you know? They and were sort of like license deals. And yeah, it was, it was like a weird, you know, exactly. And then if one goes, you know, if one little label goes down, you risk, you know, focusing on a genre that's not super popular you can just go out of business and it doesn't pull the whole thing down sure yep yeah absolutely that's smart it's like you know it's like putting rich people putting money in like overseas banks and shit like that yeah, doing, you know? doing everything as an llc exactly yep yep absolutely um one last thing and then we'll get into this music but i think the the um there's a cool thrash breakdown in the second tune we're going to hear tomorrow we die and i think if you if you listen I even heard a little bit of that uh, that sort of Texas thrash boogie that you know, that like Dime uh, kind of personified at times. So maybe there is a little something in the water in Texas that, that you know that that, that oh, ZZ, ZZ Top, top action boogie. Yeah, exactly. So it's it's kind of there. So it's it's very cool and uh, lots of Slayer, Rain and Blood throughout the whole album, Signs of Life, and especially yes. in the solos and things like that. Um, but to me, you know, as you'll kind of hear here, there's there's like one step sort of still missing that they're going to really figure out in adultery. But um, so let's listen to this early stuff before we kind of go full into adultery. Um, we got massive devastation from the violent termination record. And, you know, just bear with it. It's not a great song, but it's just kind of necessary from a historical standpoint. And then we'll get to signs of life. Tomorrow we die.
tomorrow we die from signs of life. And then we had massive devastation, open things up from violent termination. So, um, before we get into adultery, um, I, I was going to mention if there is any, you know, our, we always like to be kind of relaxed when we're talking with the patrons a little bit. Um, I just recently got a couple metal books in the mail. I was curious if you gotten any kind of new metal things or, or pop culture things that you want to sort of talk up or, or anything like that. I got the first uh, four Cronenberg films on Blu-ray. Did you? Yeah. Nice. Yeah, I think I... I think I have those. I have Shivers. Uh, I have The Brood. You have Rabid? I did get Rabid the other day. Um, I don't, actually, okay, It's I don't have uh, the drag racing movie. Oh, I don't have that either. Like, yeah. I don't really count that. <laughs> uh, yeah. But then I just watched uh, Videodrome uh, for oh, Blu-ray in the yeah. first time. I haven't, I haven't watched it since I got the DVD years ago. Yeah, it's great. All the effects are just incredible. And it's pretty like prescient in terms of like the really weird relationship that's unhealthy that we have with like, you know, culture and TV and, you know, yeah. social media. Yeah. I mean, it's just as relevant, if not more now. Sure. It was cool about Cronenberg is I just watched uh, Nightbreed the other day and he's like the main villain in that movie. Yeah. I forgot about that. He, you know, the, that fucking creepy mask he wears, like the zipper, like kind of the gimp like looking mask he has is it's, you know. Like if I saw that in the right time, like years ago, it definitely has some. Uh, <laughs> it, it's it's worrisome. It reminds yes. me of like the the uh, potato sack from uh, the orphanage, you know, where he's <laughs> like, Jesus Christ, don't yeah. wear that. You're fucking freaking me out. I think the so, only other Cronenberg uh, performance I've seen was in uh, Jason X, where he gets killed that? pretty immediately. Yeah, it's right in the beginning when they go. They're he's like taking some scientists down to where Jason's chained up in some room is and then Jason he gets like the one in space. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I've only seen that once. I enjoyed it. It was funny as shit. You know, if you're not looking for like a good movie, but just looking to be kind of entertained. Um, that's yeah. That's what it is. I forgot that he was in that movie though. I don't know if I knew. Yeah. I knew who Cronenberg was when I saw that back in college. Cause I, had, I didn't know who Cronenberg was when I first saw Nightbreed. Oh, for sure. Yeah. I knew I mean, his I, name, but I didn't know what he looked like. Yeah. Yeah. Apparently, uh, I was reading, he was writing uh, in between takes. He would just like sit down at like a, like a chair and just like he wrote the whole script for Naked Lunch while they were filming Night <laughs> So it's kind of funny. But uh, yeah, no, I've been I've been picking up a lot of like Criterions and things like that. I just got Kess in the mail. Uh, it's an old British film from the late 60s, early 70s. Mm-hmm. Um, it's fucking amazing. Ken Loach did it. Um, I don't know if you know who he is, but it's like a coming of age movie about um, like really like a really poor mining community in like northern uh, England um, that's still like sort of suffering like the economic, the post World War Two kind of economic, you know, you know how Birmingham was like destroyed and, and shit like the yeah. Blacksmith and Napalm and all those bands kind of talk about, but. It's basically this kid that um, named Billy who um, like gets like he has like nothing in his life. He's just like a shit. His family sucks. His brothers like everything's just terrible. And it really like gets into like boarding school and and all that stuff. And he um, starts raising he teaches himself by stealing like some books from the library because he can't afford them. He finds like a falcon. And he finds like a, a kestrel basically in a nest and he basically keeps it as a pet and he basically 
learns how to like train it and it's like the only thing that gives this kid fucking like joy and mm-hmm. life and shit and it's i don't want to ruin it i'll just say like that's that's a setup but it's like man it, it packs a wallop that's all i can say it's it's powerful well i'd be disappointed if it ended happily yeah yes yes um they talked about in the pure cinema podcast that i listen to sometimes they did like a whole episode on their favorite like coming of age movies and mm-hmm. they mentioned this one and I ended up renting it from the library and I just was like, man, I, I want to own this. This is, is great. So nice. Um, I'm up to, I, I did a count the other day. I don't know if I think I told you, but I'm up to about 400 uh, criterions out of the, <laughs> it was like 1050 or something like that. So, I mean, I got Jesus. a ways to go, but like, whew, like they just released a fucking Fellini box set, kind of like that um, Bergman one I gave you. Or I yeah. I just you. heard about that. And like I own a lot of the Fellini films already, but I'll like if I can find it used or get a good you know auction going on eBay and, and find it for a reasonable price or, or whatever, like I'll do it. But yeah, I just can't. I can't pull the trigger. So yeah, I might have like sixty-five Criterion's. Yeah, yeah. I just you know me. I've been on like a collecting tear the last couple of years trying to hunt yeah. shit down and stuff like that. So oh, and I've um, got most of mine from from you <laughs> i was gonna say yeah yeah when i replace them uh you know with with different things or upgrade. i get the dvd versions or whatever there you go yeah it marks the recipient of my bad habits so but if you uh, keep yeah if you keep an eye out for some of that stuff um even the blu-rays like uh videodrome was 17 dollars. yeah they do something. like pretty awesome sales sometimes a couple times a year so. that was like the normal price for that was it really yeah oh, damn that's crazy that's good. i think just certain ones that are fairly popular that are so, kind of always in print yeah that that makes sense yeah some are like unnecessarily expensive like a lot of them are out of print like i have some that i bought in college when i first started buying criterions back when i was taking all the film classes like third man mm-hmm. has been out of print for like 15 years that Jeez. like that dvd i have like goes for like shit tons of money like it's like stupid because people there's a lot of people like us out there that want to collect things and, and own things you know yeah but, uh, yeah i was uh, speaking of like the x-men shit like i i'm still missing issue 94 um which is the first regular issue after giant size x-men and i was like ah, eh, it's kind of curious what that's going for nowadays and oh don't even look i did and i was like oh god <laughs> and you know the, you should have got it about five years ago i know i it fucked up nothing man. i fucked up man and I mean, there was like a, it was graded at a three and it was like 300 bucks. Yeah. And this that, is, this is like the height right now of, uh, comic pricing, like all, everything's just going nuts right now, but it's an, but it's an actual, it's not like a speculator boom, a fake it's, boom. It's like purely because people want this shit. I wonder if I should try and sell some of my stuff that I don't care about now, if this would be the time or not. If it's certain, if it's certain stuff, you totally could. Yeah, the problem I mean, is not... grading it and everything. I know that's everybody's the so well. anal about shit. I don't. I don't really know what a grade would be. You know, and I know there are places you can take them to to get them graded, but but then you got to pay. I know. Yeah, frustrating. You're probably better <laughs> off just trying to sell them as a lot to some. Yeah, I might know, do that. See what like what you could get from it, but like I've got like a. I've got some amazing Spider-Mans, like right when he got the new, the black uniform and all those Hobgoblin issues, like issues like 250 through like 260. I got a bunch of those that I think, you know, Spider-Man's fairly popular. Um, yeah, I haven't looked to see what those are, but even like the only collect, the full collection of comics I have, I have almost every episode of, or episode, I keep saying episode, every issue of G.I. Joe, the yeah, Marvel Joe. comic. 
Yeah. I think I'm missing like five or something. But mm-hmm. those are going for a shitload too. Are they really? Like okay. those were nothing. Like I remember I bought half of a box at a convention, just like filling in all the like the holes for my uh, G.I. Joe collection. It was like seven bucks mm-hmm. for 50 copies or something, 50 issues. Well, I was like looking at the price tags on some of the, like the 95, 96, 97s that I, I, you know, and those are going for hundreds of bucks now. And like the price tags that I bought them for was like 12 bucks. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and even like, at the time, that was probably like, yeah, that's a lot. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, like, you know, some of those go back to like Levi's bookstore, which is where Mark and I kind of got our comic book start, you know? Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's, it's pretty wild. So, so yeah, I probably shouldn't have looked at that. I was telling Chris that because we were talking about, he was talking about what CDs I've been picking up. I said, ah, honestly, I haven't been buying a lot of CDs. I've you know, been kind of doing more DVDs lately or Blu-rays and stuff. And then I told him about getting back into X-Men and realizing <laughs> I was missing a couple issues. And I was like, I just couldn't justify it. It's too close to Christmas. I need to. How many know. issues are you missing? I'm literally missing giant size X-Men. And then issue 94. And then I have everything from 95 through 450. Oh, shit. Okay. Yeah. So it's like. Did they ever reprint Giant Size? They have. And I have a reprint of it somewhere. So I've read it before. Um, And I have like, I've read it. I have classic X-Men too. Like I have issue one and and some of that. So I've read. Those are the reprints, right? Yeah. But they had like original uh, stories at the end of the issues with like modern artists and stuff. So, okay. Some of my um, GI Joes, they did, uh, cause like, I guess it was harder to find back issues or something back in the day, but that was so popular. The first couple of years, they ended up repressing or reprinting all the, uh, I think like the first 20 issues as like tales of GI Joe, hmm. but it just has a different cover, but it's exactly the same interior. And I've grabbed a couple of those instead of the original issues, just because of the price difference. It's yeah. so crazy how expensive some of the shit's going for now. I know. So I, unfortunately like X-Men has continued like collectability, you know, and that's yeah. good. It's, it's cause it's appreciated and cause it's a quality product, but I don't know. But uh, no, I just got a couple books too. Um, I got the U S black metal book. I don't know if you ordered that yet or not. I did, um, I'm going to wait till they have one of their big sales or something. I have so many oh, books yeah. I haven't read yet. Yeah, I just, I always get worried that shit's going to go out of print sometimes, but I, I really shouldn't, you know, but I just, uh, plus I forget if I don't buy it when it's like floating around pre-sale, then I forget that I don't, you know what I mean? Like it's yeah. like out of mind, out of, out of sight kind of thing. Um, and then I also got this, I'm kind of excited to read this. I'm going to try and read this like soonish. Uh, there, there's like lots of things we're <laughs> trying to read right now, but it's, um, it's from a guy named Doug Broad, B-R-O-D. And, um, it's called, they, they just seem a little weird. And the book's called how kiss cheap trick Aerosmith and stars with a Z remade rock and roll. Who the and fuck are stars? Stars are, uh, they were, they were on, um, the history heavy metal countdown. I don't think they showed up on any of our episodes. We did the, the countdown to 200. Um, they were just like a big, they're like a Martin Popoff band that I kind of found. I mean, I'm not like as into them as, as Popoff and some of those guys are, but stars were like, they might've been Canadian. I can't okay. remember. They didn't last long, right? I think kind of, I don't know. They, I think they, they're like one of those bands that's like around, but not around. Like we don't really care. They like triumph or something. Like you, they're just okay. there. I've heard of triumph though. It's weird that for all sure. those other bands I've heard, you know, I know most of their catalog. Yeah, I've never heard of these guys. Stars songs. I don't know. Um, 
I, yeah, I don't really know. I don't know. I think they're like one of those. I think they're like Angel. Okay. Like they're like a band that you like kind of got into or you didn't kind of thing, and they have like kind of a little bit of that status. Um, which if you're of a certain age, probably. Yeah, for sure. You know, Popoff just released the Angel book, which you know I like those Angel records, those first couple. Um, Scott Carlson actually turned me on to Angel, and so yeah, I used to listen to them at the the record store because they were oh, always yeah. in stock. Yeah, yeah, it's <laughs> pretty funny. But yeah, this got recommended to me. Um, I think maybe Mike McFadden was talking about the book, um, and then there the was another guy. The guy, uh, yeah, who did the uh, heavy metal movies and the teen movies books, that guy. Oh, okay. okay. Um, Mike McFadden and then um, another guy that was also talking about this. And so, um, yeah, but it's got like, oh, it seems cool. Like it's got some really great testimonials on the back from uh, Chuck Klosterman, um, Rob Tannenbaum, who wrote the um, I Want My MTV, that which is one of my favorite books I've ever read. Is that That's the oral like, history? Yeah, so yeah. fun. Yeah, so he wrote that, and then Rob Sheffield, who um, I have some books by Rob Sheffield. I think he I, he I think he wrote for Rolling Stone, and then he's done some like other books um, and stuff since then. But yeah, it just seems like kind of a fun book that's gonna like crisscross some kind of like seventies rock stuff, which you know would have been nice to have that book when we did our our countdown to episode two hundred when we were talking about a lot of seventies rock. But whatever, yeah. is what it is. But especially now that uh, I'm a Kiss fan, you know, so kind of curious what they what they say about that. But yeah, I just figured I I kind of mentioned that, throw those out for people. So if you're if you're into cool music books, those would be a couple that would be pretty dope. So so adultery. Here we go, 1991. All right, um, Scott Burns production. Like I said, Dave Lozano returns on drums. Um, you know, I kind of wrote that this 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 album kind of rivals maybe Spectrum of Death from Morbid Saint in terms of like that kind of proto death metal thrash kind of spiteful angry kind of energy. I mean, it's right it's right in line with that kind of a record. Um, you know, it's almost like you said before, Sepultura and Slayer like had a baby, and this is like what it's like. And Jeff yeah. Pacera sing for him. Yeah, with Jeff Pacera uh, doing like his version of Mike Muir vocals. Kind of weird. <laughs> um, you know, it's so, like if Possessed and Suicidal Tendencies crossed over, you know, so it's, so it's it's pulling from a lot of threads. And again, I think you know, I brought this up a lot when we talked about the Midwestern bands, but I think there's kind of an advantage to not being on one of the two coasts in that you can like pick and choose like different influences, you know, Um I'm kind of curious if because of like some their like closeness and proximity to Latin America, if like that's why they were so absorbative of like Sepultura influences, even, you know, like who knows, maybe they looked, you know, some of the Latino members in the band were kind of like inspired by the fact that here's a band from Latin America that was doing thrash in a really fucking cool way. Like Sepultura was, you know, it's hard to say. Yeah, I'm not sure. I know that, uh, Mexico, whole all of Latin America is that's a huge heavy metal fan base. There's it's actually a band from Mexico that I, I, I'd be really down for doing uh, an episode on uh, in the future. And I've kind of started piecemealing some of their old records the last couple of years. Um, I don't think I've talked to you about it much, but the Chasm, mm-hmm. um, they're really interesting. Like they're way more interesting than I thought. And I think I used to be turned off by like their covers and, and some of that stuff. It looked real kind of chintzy. Yeah, they're not great. But, like, the more I started reading about their place and, like, how people who I trusted, like, associate them, I was like, 
I really need to spend some time with Chasm. And I listened to some on Spotify and I was like, fuck. And I went back and bought like a bunch of records and stuff. So um, it'd be kind of interesting. We haven't done a lot outside of Sepultura, you know, from that part of the world, you know? Yeah. But, um, and again, it, it, those kind of dives like forced like me to like actually get to know a band like the Chasm that I probably should, you know, you probably should, we, you know, we all should probably, but um, we just missed them. You know, they were kind of around in the two thousands. I remember like at the record store, I think Brian was even into them and maybe even Chris talked a little bit about them at times, but I never spent any time with that band. You know, I'm sure you didn't either. So I was trying to, I was looking at who's the, the, basically the backing band for possessed now. Oh, I don't know. Is it, uh, yeah, that's a good question. It was, I mean, it's, it was, it's, uh, it was mostly Hispanic dudes, but it's, is it like sadistic intent or something? Oh, it might be. That that sounds right. It's basically um, the, that whole band that kind of started playing live with them. Yeah. Let's see. It was recorded in Abyss Studios. Um, yeah, Gonzalez. Let me see. Um, Daniel Gonzalez from Possess. He was... He's in Gruesome. Um, let's see. Yes, yeah, so it's not that guy. I'm looking up right now. Um, let's see. Claudia. There's a guy in Possessed right now whose name is Claudius Creamer. Come on. <laughs> Come on. Jesus. Like Claudia Cream? Yeah. I guess, yeah. Um. <laughs> Come on. I did not know that. And I have that record. He was in Dragon Lord, that dude was. Okay. Interesting. Yeah, I don't know. I'm not finding Sadistic Content yet. Um, let's see. I wonder if that was just when he was doing the reunion stuff like the, uh, when Danzig did the blackest of the black and possessed was on there. Okay. The drummer in possessed right now was in sadistic intent from 95 to 2010. So, okay. I think that was the live band in the early two or mid two thousands or something, but you see a bunch of dudes from a band called engrave. Do you remember them? Nope. Yeah. They were around the late nineties coffin texts. Um, the bass player in Possessed was the bass player for Agent Steel from 2007 to 2011. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, he does have a lot of Hispanic dudes in the band, but yeah, it looks like one dude from Sadistic Intent and then people from various other places as well. So, but yeah, it's like that's a that's kind of you know I'll be honest with you, like I know it was there Sentinex. Um, trying to think of other bands I know from that part part of the world. Um, There's a Sentinex from Sweden too. Is there? I think yeah. there's one in Mexico too. I thought. Um, trying to think of like South American kind of stuff that like jumps out to me. Um, uh, what the fuck? Uh, I mean, you got all the Brazilian stuff that I know. Yeah, Volcano and and some of those bands, um, uh, Sarcophago and and stuff like that. But Impetigo. Impetigo. Yeah, they were from the. Yep. Yep. So. I feel like there was another band that had the same name as an American band. Pentagram from Chile. That's what it is. Yeah, and I have that Pentagram from Chile. It's it's pretty cool. It's it's pretty pretty good stuff. There's also, uh, oh no, they're from Germany. Okay, I was thinking there's a Poison uh, that's not the glam metal Poison, but it's a kind of like a crossover, crusty proto grind band called Poison from Germany. Mm-hmm. They're actually pretty sweet. From like. They're on the history having all countdown. I think like 86, 87. So okay, I turned out to them. It was it was always weird when there's like a Japanese band with the same name, and there's like two Sabbaths, right? There's like the Japanese Sabbath and the British Sabbath, and 
it kind of gets confusing sometimes as a metal fan. <laughs> like, there's Skid Row. There's two Skid Rows. That's true. And the, the Irish Skid Row with yeah. uh, Gary Moore, right? I, I believe, yeah. I, and that predated the Sebastian Bach outfit. Yes. Oh, for sure. But I think it was predated when Gary Moore joined Thin Lizzy, I think. I think that yeah, was I think so. before Thin Lizzy. So those records are great if you're uh if you like kind of 70s thin lizzy you know great guitar playing stuff you know rory cochran or not rory cochran uh rory <laughs> gallagher <laughs> rory rory cochran is slater from days of confused so uh, <laughs> i also you know i was thinking of rory cochran is i just watched over thanksgiving break uh oculus um for, oh, that was good yeah yeah that's uh the dude who went on and did um dr sleep the sequel to shining um but he also did the show on Netflix, um, The Haunting Hill House. Um, like yeah, that was good. I really liked that. Yeah, oh, it was great. Yeah, there's a I new one on there too. Um, yeah, it's it, the, I don't know another, if it's the same uh, director. It's it like is. a super slow burn, from what I've is heard. It? But I've heard it's okay. good. It's just you gotta take the time. Stick with it. Yep, yep. Yeah, I plan to watch that probably over Christmas break. I just haven't had a chance. I was marathoning like um queen's gambit and just like other things that i've been going through you know so it's just keep checking it off catching up on mandalorian which i still haven't seen the last episode so we'll have to talk about that another time but oh okay good yeah we'll, we'll do it we'll do it but yeah so you get to adultery and um like i said i just think it's like it, all the pieces kind of start to come together here and um the song we're going to kick off with is fuck me man like when you first put this on and you heard deliver the suffering and that sort of intro were you just like in it because like the first time i heard this opening song to the whole album i was like all right now i know why people talk about this fucking record it's just i don't know it's like a total makeover it's like a lobotomy this band had i can't believe it's the same band that did violent termination i mean they're just like they feel like they just tightened up and they figured out what worked and what didn't yep Yep. And uh, I wrote, they're freebasing Chuck and Jeff in the vocal department on this song. Yes. <laughs> it's, uh, I said, it's pure possessed, Sepultura, Dark Angel. Um, it's evil, neck snapping, Texas tornado, riff after riff. It almost reminds me in certain ways of the sort of riffery of like that violence sometimes used. Yeah. Um, I mean, there's lots of palm muting. Yep. But they're using the there's not a ton of bands that used except for like Witchery at the Gates, uh, that use that kind of uh the, the Slayer palm muted breakdown riff. Yep. Where it's like doing almost like a triplet instead of just like the standard chug. Mm-hmm. Um they do that a fair amount. Yeah, Dark Angel did that sometimes too as yeah. well. And I think they Yeah, and I can kind of see like the way I had banged to like Witchery is kind of how I had banged to like Devastation. You know, yeah. it's the same kind of way I'd headbang to like Dark Angel too. It's got like the, I think it's something with the drums, the way that the drums, like you said, the triplets that they're doing there, you know, kind of just has this like really cool feel. So, um, and it's pretty fucking fast. Yeah. Yeah. And like it's still, like, yeah. it's Trey Morbid Angel fast, but it's, it has more of like out of a, a swing, not a swing, but like, uh, it's kind of more in the pocket. It's not yeah. super frilly, but it's fast and it's catchy. And maybe- and maybe that's where I was getting some of like the pestilence illusions, like the the pre, you know, the Martin era mm-hmm. um, consuming impulse where, yeah, that's a death metal record, but it, man, it's rooted in thrash. But yes. and so it's not like those catchy, like catchy groove pockets that are still there, even though it's like sinister, you know, and, and evil and all that stuff. And I that's think if this the, band had a different, had a, did like death metal vocals, it would be more notable. 
yeah it might be, almost be more revered in a way um, yeah yeah that's kind of interesting although i do like some of the singing on it too because like the chorus in the song deliver the suffering is actually like really good and really catchy you know i like it now but i think if if it would have had death metal vocals it would have stood out to me more in 91 back in the day yeah yeah that makes sense i mean 91 the floodgates were open with death metal you know yeah. i mean i mean i was like go back and listen to like comacon that's not great but it had lg on it so that kind of pulled me in if this would have had just death metal vocals that would have almost been it and actually yeah. the the cover artist for this is the same dude that did the cyclone temple album. oh no shit yeah oh, same cover uh sean wyatt that. okay huh. so there's another little crossover to from snow white yeah for all these like different bands that we've been trying to interconnect and stuff but yeah i just think they're they're really they're really in it at this point and the lyrics really get better by this point um you know they're more kind of like death metal stuff but it's like it, it works you know it works for what like the character of the, the music in the way that like morbid saints like lyrics kind of went into that um you know by the time you get to like forsaken hatred which is the other song we're going to play in this next set you know it's not the you know hidden feeling suffocation mental surge excruciating anger burns inside of me as i live forsaken hatred it's like the shit that sepultura would be singing about or you know what i mean like yeah those it's pretty bands. stock but good yeah. But it's like not like the massive devastation shit that was like very passe and, and didn't really didn't really hit. So yeah, that forsaken um, hatred has almost like a, that starts with like a mayhem dissonant riff, and yeah. it has that just stereotypical Slayer riff breakdown. Yep, um, the solo dude in that song. I said it reminds me of like the same kind of soloing that you heard on Kill Again and At Dawn They Sleep, like that Halloween yeah. kind yeah. of style. Um, it's just like really savage and kind of evil little seven churches there too. You know, I think mm -hmm. Halloween's and, and seven churches were very contemporaneous in 1985, you know? Um, yeah. A lot of buzzsaw riffing. I wrote Slayer, Dark Angel and the drum production in Forsaken Hatred really reminds me of the kind of weird oscillating rhythms that Igor did a lot on like, like Arise and Beneath. Mm -hmm. um, it's definitely there as well. So a lot of fun stuff. So I think, if you're not sold on this band yet from just free will, which we opened and you're kind of like, mm, man, you know, that last set was like, not great. I think deliver the suffering and forsaken hatred are going to be a one, two punch. It's going to really work for you. So, so let's do it. Let's get into, uh, we got um, deliver the suffering and forsaken hatred. Thank you. 
that was forsaken hatred and deliver the suffering. So um, again, thanks patrons. I know that, uh, you know, there's a little bit of a gap between this and Flotsam, but just understand that, um, you know, do going back to the weekly uh, episodes, you know, it's a, you know, hopefully that makes up for the fact that we're, we weren't quite monthly with the, with this patron episode, but um, I, you know, you guys are forgiving people and we, I think you appreciate the hearts are in the right place. <laughs> yes, exactly. You know, we wanted to give you more regular episodes. And so it meant that there was a little bit less uh, on the patron front. Um, one of the things I was talking about for the, the third kind of Patreon um, thrash bonus one is I'm sort of torn between like, there's like two or three records and I haven't been able to quite narrow them down. And so I thought about maybe uh, throwing up a survey on the, the Patreon site and basically having our patrons vote for between these like three records that we're trying to narrow it down. What are uh, the three records? Well, I think I had you know, Hallow's Eve, um, Tales of Terror uh, was, was on the short list. Um, let me go back in my notes. You asked me a very good question. I was not prepared for it. There's, um, one, there's one band that I, I forgot what the fuck it is, but I felt like we were, uh, it was like a gaping hole why we didn't do them. Hmm. And I can't think of who it is now. Yeah, throw it in there. Um, what was, uh, let's see, there was the Hallow's Eve. There was, well, let me look, let me scroll up because I think I have it. Oh, Heathen. Mm-hmm. Um, Heathens, um, blah, 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 blah. What the hell is it called? It's their big record from 1991. Uh, I, I'm drawing a blank right now. Um, that, that was maybe, you know, in the kind of potential running, we got a lot of people that, you know, were always saying we should do that one. Um, yeah, we'll have to put our heads together. Maybe, uh, think of what else we might be kind of possibly missing i mean nuclear assault was brought up a lot but i felt like you know nuclear assault could get its own like kind of regular episode somewhere down the road um because there's probably a lot to unpack with them yeah um oh, i tried suicidal suicide was another one i originally had um um how will i laugh on there but then i was like man suicidal's got a lot of stuff going on we could do like a you know, like a one or two part suicidal show just on like their career a little bit, or at least their eighties output. Yeah. Um, that was my thought. I was just trying to go for like, like I said, more second tier or bands that only had like one or maybe two like great records. Okay. Are um, you talking uh, Heathen's victim of deception? That is it. Yes. Okay. 91. It's pretty rocking record. Um, you know, it's, I think I put it in the, the thrash playlist. Um, We've already Spotify. done a corner show. We have not. Oh, we haven't. No, do we but talk about them? We have. Well, I mean, we've brought them up in various episodes at times. I think maybe in the uh, greatest years in metal history, we played a, a coroner uh, okay. song. Um, the thing was, I was trying to stick to America. <coughs> that, that was my thing because, like, a lot of people brought up, like, how about Sacrifice for Determination? I was like, yeah, great record. But I also think we could do like a Canadian thrash journey or a German thrash journey or at least a European thrash journey. Mm-hmm. Um, that was my thoughts, but hey, we can we can do whatever the fuck we want. We can break rules, because um, there was also I thought one another cool bonus episode would be um, an Australian thrash band, um, Hobbs Angel of Death. Have you really yeah. have you ever listened? That's I like have. a that's kind of a fun record that no one you know people talk about it, but like you know maybe not as much as it could get talked about. They so. had a resurgence a couple years ago. Oh, and, did they? Uh, they actually they played Detroit. Oh yeah, you I I remember you telling me that. Did you see him when they played? 
did. I think they played at um, God, what venue was it? It was that tiny one down in Corktown, the little upstairs. Oh, where we saw Toxic Holocaust. Yeah, I know what you're talking. I feel about. like I saw it. It was just hmm. so packed I couldn't see the band. Interesting. Hmm. And that's yeah. another where it's like a African American, you know, main like lead guy. Oh, was it in Hobbs? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, which yeah. is still, I mean, it's unfortunate, but it's it's still a rarity. <laughs> yeah, yeah. A lot of people uh, did give me feedback. They really appreciated our conversation in the Snow White episode about where we were kind of just talking about those kind of elements and, and perception and, and, you know, lack oh, nice. of representation and, and stuff like that yeah. in, in the metal community and stuff. And I was like, yeah, I mean, it was definitely, you know, something we were definitely aware of, you know. So. That's something I think we've always been aware of, like growing up in a college town too. Yeah. That we've always kind of, I don't know, I've, I've always tried to figure out stuff that was different than me. Yes, I and agree. Ex- experiment and, you know. But it's like, explore. I've I've had to defend it before because like I have some really trusted friends that are like really into music and um, you know um, it's not the Luke, you know, but it's another Luke friend of mine. And, and he, you know, we were talking about metal one day and he was like, is it metal sort of like kind of really white? And I was like, yeah, <laughs> you know? And he was like, cause he's really into like hip hop and, but he's also an indie route. He's just, he's, you know, he's a fan, he's interested in stuff. And, and he said, that's always kind of been a, like a, something that red flagged him a little bit because he just thought it was kind of like for like white dudes or something, you know? I go, yeah, yeah I, I can get the the vibe that metal gives that off that it, you know, sometimes metal has, it's almost like too self-protecting for its own good. And I think it probably, harms a lot of you know entryway from outsiders to come in because i think outsiders are kind of intimidated by this quote-unquote you know rules of metal and the you know how cavalt and and all the kind of protectionism that i think a lot of metal people do especially on social media where we don't we don't do a good job of like selling it to like the outside world because we're almost like too we personalize it too much to the point where we almost like don't invite others in. And I think that's like a real problem sometimes, you know, I think we... if, um, I think it's, that that's a pretty, pretty close to the, to the mark. But I think it's also, we want, if people are interested, we want them to come to us, not yeah. make it broadly accessible to everybody else. Yeah. So I feel definitely... like if you're, if you're like a person of, that's a minority coming into it, I don't think it's an issue, but as far as just trying to, you know, push it out there as if, as this, as if here's our open and accepting culture, you know, try it out. Like, no, you have to make the first step. <laughs> That's how it kind of seems to me. Yeah. And I mean, I guess when metal kind of tried to outreach, you know, to that, you know, or at least made a half-ass attempt, you got a lot of bullshit new metal stuff. You know what I mean? Yeah. Where yeah. Like trying to appeal to the sensibilities of like hip hop culture. And it's like, most of that was really put upon and, and was really sad and, and inauthentic in a way yeah. that like most real metalheads kind of saw through most of it, you know, outside of, you know, Deftones or System of a Down or a few exceptions that, that seemed to like put their own authentic spin on whatever that genre started as, I guess, whatever new metal was and its original intentions, you know. Yeah, I think if people are really looking for like rebellious music, not that's just rebellious for your two years in high school. But yeah. like you're really looking for stuff that's about, you know, about social change or about, you know, feelings and anger and either go to hip hop or you go to heavy metal. Yeah. Yeah. 
And depending on where you're at, I mean, it's kind of obvious where you're going to go. Sure. Unfortunately. And I think hip hop probably has more of an avenue to be a street reporting genre. And it always has been. And so I think, you know, in, in, uh, in auspicious times that we live today, I think people go to hip hop for those reasons and are looking for more authenticity. Whereas I think metal has always been more fantasy escapism from some of that stuff, even though it will touch on topics, you know, I mean, certainly Metallica and and, and the politics of thrash. We talked about that in earlier episodes, you know, definitely talked about fear and and anxieties of nuclear war and and environmental stuff. And and you can find that if you want to. Um, But that's not often why, like, I don't turn to metal for those things, even though I'm interested in those things, I turn to like Bob Dylan for those things or hip hop for those things or, or whatever. So I think, yeah, you have to like want, I mean, I think it's the same reason that there's people in like movies that um, I have a lot of like kids I teach that don't like sci-fi movies uh, and they have no interest in it because they're like, I don't know, it's like weird. It's like fantasy stuff. They don't like anything that's not like based in reality. Yeah. Um, And I get that. I guess it's a taste thing. You know, it's like, so there's people that like, I know that won't watch any superhero movie regardless. I mean, granted now it's like, there's a glut of them, but like, even like 10 years ago, they just were like, no, I'm not interested in stuff like that. And you're like, have you tried I don't think people understand how you can use fantasy to actually like magnify reality and make it more coherent and, and concise than you can with just reality. Yeah. Like I got more out of, like get out and how it dealt with sort of issues like slavery and, and race relations and exploitation and, and things like that. Then I would like, if you got a, you know, a quote unquote, like a, a very important drama, like 12 years of slave or something, which 12 years of slave is great, but it's also like, you gotta be in the mood for it. It's not something you go back to. Whereas like, I can go back to like horror movies or sci-fi that dips its toe in that stuff. But also can be entertaining separate from the issues. But if you really want to like pl- talk about the issues afterwards, you could also have those conversations. You know yeah. what I mean? You and I think up. heavy metal falls in the same category as classical music, as far as like visceral, uh, the visceral reaction you get out of it. Like yeah. lyrics in a lot of bands don't matter because it's mm-hmm. about how it makes you feel. Yes. Yeah. So and I think, yeah, I think hip hop has that same thing, but it's a different, it's hitting like a different set of, impulses or something in your brain sure some like modern more modern stuff i think there's not like the the music itself isn't quite as important as it is in heavy metal no no. it's it's the the presentation of the vocal along with that but the you know the beat is important but it's not it's not like imagine if you just listened to slayer and you took the guitars away and it was just (laughs) tom and dave you were just kind of like listening to like percussive stuff (laughs) Like I mean, you, there's, there's less there, so you have to pay attention to the vocal. Better mean something, yeah, because it's it's yes. on display. It's not it's not just part of a unit. Yep, yep, I agree. And yeah, and so I think you know, like I was with my roommate last night. He came home, and um, I was listening to Death Symbolic, and you know, he sat down, and we were kind of eating, and he was like, "This is this is pretty this this is interesting. What's what's this all about?" And I said, "Well." you know, kind of their band that started as a death metal band, but then they, you know, kept kind of pushing the boundaries and pushing and pushing and stuff like that. And um, somehow we got to listening to a bunch of death stuff. And um, then I was like, 
yeah, like near the end of, of his career, he wanted to like expand even beyond death metal. And, and I played him painkiller, the cover, and he knew Judas Priest. And he was like, this is fucking great. You know, like what he's doing with his voice and stuff. And then I went back and played him the original Judas Priest. And we somehow started listening to like victim of changes and the Ripper and some <laughs> stuff like that. And he goes, see, I, he goes, I can get into this a lot easier than I can death because I can wrap my head around this. Whereas like when you were playing me like sound of perseverance and, and symbolic, like, the music's like so insane that like I almost don't know where to start or wrap my head around. And I kind of forget what it's like to be in that, have that perspective to be very intimidated by the fact that a lot of the metal stuff that you and I are into. Yeah. We listen to like stripped down metal sometimes, but there's also times where we listen to very musically adept, very complicated, you know, things that are layered and, you know, very dense compared to pop music. Not everybody can like listen to anthems from Emperor and, and pick out what the fuck's going on, you know. That's a lot. Whatever. Yeah. Um, and death's a lot too. Even though, like to me, like I the things I pick up on when I listen to, like symbolic is like the fucking like melodic guitar and like how could you not like get it? Like I don't even pay attention to the vocals really that much anymore. You know, some of the lines I'll sing along to, but like to me, I'm just like I'm just waiting for like these cool like little solos and little melodic elements that sort of pop in or really cool like Gene Hoglan drum fills and stuff. Yeah. And I guess it's because I've listened to it so much. I know my brain knows how to like find that stuff. And I don't know. Well, I think for it. like a lay person when they're trying to like their access point is vocals. You know, yeah. can I sing to it? Like vocals and like the, the, the basic beat. Like, sure. can I get into this at all? And if it's, you know, Gene Hoglan's drums are insane. Yes. To, to somebody coming in just like, you know, hearing whatever, a, you know, Jonas Brothers song or some shit, something that's that's got a lot of space in it. Um, sure. You know, it's centered around that vocal again. And then when that vocal is so impenetrable <laughs> and it mm-hmm. just sounds like somebody screaming, you can't understand what they're saying. So you can't make a value judgment that way. Um, and then musically, there's nothing for you to grab onto that, yep. you know, like that you can that feels safe. I think that's why it could be so like off-putting for people yeah and i think maybe it's the same approach that like jazz has you know absolutely you know jazz is very intimidating because people don't know what the entry ramp is they don't Mm -hmm. know where they should be listening they don't know what they should be focusing on because there's just so much happening and you know there's not like catchy choruses like you said or um you know just like a really like sick consistent beat that you can kind of just like wrap your head around bob your head and stuff like you know, it's there and Metallica had it and, you know, certain bands do it in the metal realm. And that's why they're, you know, <laughs> popular beyond normal means. Mm-hmm. And, you know, but it was very prescient when Casey was kind of talking about my roommate, he was talking about the space that sort of existed in like a song, like victim of changes where he's like, Oh, okay. This is like as a Sabbath riff. And, you know, he could get into like, he was kind of interested in what Halford was doing with his voice. And then when Halford really like hits it in the middle of that song, he was like, Holy shit. And, yeah. and he likes Dio stuff too. So he gets into like cool vocals and things. So I think, you know, you got to find your hook and, you know, some people are guitar people. Some people are like drum people. Some people are vocal people and, you know, metal has appeal to all of those people. It just depends on like which, <laughs> where you're coming from and what bands you serve up to them at that point. For sure. You know? And of course that's really hard for people to wrap their head around the idea that like, metal vocals are just an instrument and you shouldn't think of them or judge them the same way that you do like other vocals, you know, especially when it comes to extreme metal. You it's, know? Yeah. It's not Celine Dion or something. Yes. Yeah. No one's Celine Dion. Like no, that. the band I was thinking of is running wild. Oh, okay. 
wait, when we were thinking about what? Other uh, thrash-ish bands to throw in. Oh, yeah, yeah. They're German, aren't they? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, yep. They got to wait for that Europe metal uh, thrash episode. (laughs) Gates of Purgatory and Brandon Exiled, man. Yeah, those are are fucking great records. I don't even know if I call those thrash. I just call those like speed metal, you know? Um, Yeah, potato, potato. Yeah, exactly. They're cool though. They're like I yeah. I see those as like contemporaries, like early Halloween and Blind Guardian and, and some of that kind of stuff too. Well, and they went from like almost like black metal, yeah, black metal, speed metal to, to pirate, pirate shit. Yeah, which is, some of those I, are pretty decent. No, those first three pirate records I own, they're great. Yeah, yep, yep. Death or Glory, Under Jolly Roger, and there's uh, another one I can't think of it. Port Royal. Port Royal. That's it. Yeah, yep. those are great. Yep. Yep. So, um, yeah. So, I mean, you know, like feedback wise, you know, I'm kind of curious, but most of it's been really, really positive on the thrash stuff. And obviously we probably, you know, need to take a break and, and do some other things for a bit. Like, you know, <laughs> I wouldn't mind, like I said, revisiting, you know, the, this from like different angles, you know, down the road, you know, like doing a European thrash, you know, it doesn't have to be 10 parts, but you know, a yeah. few episodes on some stuff and maybe some Canadian stuff or, or whatever. Um, I know Ian Glasper, who we, uh, you and I have talked off mic about, like who wrote some books on like anarcho punk and crust punk. I was looking at his book discography, and he wrote like a whole book just on British thrash, where he talks about Acid Rain and Centrics and stuff. So maybe if we do this episode with Ian down the road um, on anarcho punk, we can maybe create a relationship where someday we can do an episode just on like British thrash. Cause I don't know much about British thrash, you know, I don't either really outside of Sabbath and the fact that Gary Jennings was in acid rain and you know a few things like that. Yeah. But, um, Onslaught I know of, you know, Zentrix, and, you know, I, you know, it's just kind of be kind of interesting to have an expert there kind of guide us through it almost, you know? So but let's get back to adultery. We got um, we got a couple more songs we're going to play before we get out of here on our Patreon show. Um, the next two are Souls of Sacrifice and Subconscious that we're going to get into. And um, Souls of Sacrifice is not as fast as the aforementioned songs that you just heard. It's, it's a little bit more kind of mid-paced. But somehow, like, the mid-paced groove of it makes it, like, more, I wrote, makes the buzzing carnage even catchier and groovier. And I said, almost like what Obituary might do if they were a thrash band. Um, kind of yeah. an interesting thing there. And this is where I really like noticed, I think, the Pestilence quality the most is on this song. And the solo in it is, um, I said, it, it's like Andre Kisser meets Jeff Hanneman. It's, it's a very cool like meeting of those two styles that the, those two kind of guys had. So this yeah, is one of my favorite right. tunes. So I, I really, really dug this one. And, um, and then if you didn't hear Pestilence on Souls of Sacrifice, well, welcome to Subconscious. Um, <laughs> I just wrote sick breakdown after sick Pestilence breakdown. It's just like, this is the most of that kind of testimony consuming impulse kind of sound that I sort of get. Um, I said, if you're not head bobbing during the descending hell awaits part before um, the full maelstrom begins, then what the fuck's wrong with you? So yeah, there's, there's a part in this that reminds me of the way the intro in Hello Waits does like it's weird, dun, 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 like where it's doing the like whole intro part, yeah. you know what I'm talking about? Mm-hmm. And you kind of really hear it in subconscious. It's very cool. So um, yeah. Did you write anything about any of those songs or were you just kind of going along? Uh, yeah. The, that Slayer riff I mm-hmm. put in there. 
around the two minute mark. Yep. Um, they're good at the, uh, the feature riff where there's just a lot of like, they're going through doing like their palm muted thrash stuff and then almost do that Slayer break where they've got this little riff where they play around with it for like four measures. And there's a nice Mm -hmm. little off time drum thing where they're doing a little China, uh, off time little riff in there too. Oh yeah. Yeah, for sure. There's a cool, and maybe it's in soul sacrifice. That's probably what you're talking about. There's a cool, like part where they're doing like these weird double bass rolls. Yeah. It's, It's really neat. Yeah. That's, that's fun for sure. So, well, cool. Well, let's get into it as we kind of start to wrap things up. I hope people are uh, digging adultery who maybe don't know this. Although, patrons, you guys are more sophisticated than our average, uh, you know, listeners. And so most of you probably hopefully are familiar with Devastation. But if not, hope you're digging it. So Get devastated. Yeah, you devastate. We'd be devastated if you weren't. Um, (laughs) Soul Sacrifice and Subconscious on the way.
that was subconscious and souls of sacrifice hopefully in, in, involve uh, or enjoyed the uh texas via the netherlands uh via slayer uh which is is adultery at this point and so as we kind of wrap things up here uh, and say our goodbyes hopefully you appreciate um you know, we do appreciate you guys as patrons uh, as always um hopefully you had fun and this is a, a fun record and we've had a lot of fun doing the whole thrash thing um i know it's broken both mark and i's bank accounts a little bit because we're you know we we are actually enjoying these bands more than i think i thought we would when we started this whole journey and uh oh, devastation is no different although 91 bucks i don't think i i don't think i would pull that trigger you know no no i'm, I'm holding off on that let me know if you buy devastation adultery for 91 dollars, then maybe i'll take the plunge on x-men number 94 <laughs> <laughs> no i can't i can't do that right now but i did just get a couple uh running wild records did you nice. Yeah. nice nice i do all my record shopping while we're talking while we're talking yeah yeah i uh i do that sometimes too where i'm like oh do i not have that like we're gearing up um you know the the next well we'll let patrons know since you guys are kind of in the inside um the next episode we're doing normal episode is is sacred right um ignorance and then we're doing demolition hammer and then we're closing out we're forbidden uh their first two records and so i was going through and uh, by the way, I put the the um, playlist up for for Sacred Reich yesterday, so that's like ready okay. to go. But um, I was starting to like think about Demolition Hammer, and I realized, shit, I don't have their second record. So there, there I was on Discogs last night, and so took the plunge. So hopefully they'll <laughs> they'll show up pretty soon. Um, I mean, it's on Spotify, so I can at least listen to it. But I was like, ah, you know, I, I should probably have this. Plus, it's like early Century Media, and there's kind of something. There's some that speaks to me about owning like original like 1991 Century Media stuff, you know. Yeah, it's kind of, I totally get that. It kind of scratches that itch a little bit. Plus, it's a great record. The first two are. The third one, not so good from Demolition Hammer, but um, but anyways, yeah. So I feel I feel your uh, your your pocketbook spending uh, because of these goddamn episodes. <laughs> so, well, thank you, um, patrons, for that uh, giving us that extra cheddar to make this yes. right. Yeah, I was gonna say without patrons, we'd be even more in the hole because we basically take all the patron money. I feel like it's it's back in the day when we worked at record stores and like I would just take my new moon record, like I would just take my new moon paycheck and mostly just buy music with it. Yes, and then like live off of loans and shit like that, which was a <laughs> terrible idea in hindsight. And I uh yeah brutally paid for that in life. But in college, you're not very smart when it comes to financial responsibility. And so um, you know, I'm I Mark and I are collectors. We're impulsive sometimes, and sometimes yeah. we take a plunge. You know. Well, luckily, you know, everything that we've—if we would have hung on to all the shit we really loved—it's all come around and been fruitful. Yeah. So if you would have had like a spouse or like, what is all this shit? You know, covering up the house. Yeah. Like, you just wait. Look how much these X Men comics and GI Joe toys are worth now. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. And I'd be like, now, like, if I was to ever get married, I have too much leverage in that department. Like if I had like a, like 300 or 400 CDs and somebody came in, they're like, ah, oh, these CDs are cluttering. But like when they come over and they're dating me and if they think that like 6,000 CDs are just going to disappear somewhere, <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, it's like a non, it's like a non-starter at this point. So I'm like, I have so much leverage in that department that it will never become an issue with, with somebody. Oh, you know what you need to do is uh, go on to banger TV's YouTube page. Uh-huh. And they're doing like a couple like pilot shows for new a new series, but they actually go to um, Martin Popoff's office 
Oh no! Which shit. is basically like an apartment that he rents that's full of all of his music. It's incredible. Is it pretty sweet? Yeah, you should. It's like a fifteen-minute video or something. They're going through and showing like I mean, it's it's a lot of. I think he said he had six to seven thousand CDs. Okay. I mean, it's but it's like take imagine like one of the apartments we had in college, and it's just, just like it. a desk and lined the walls with like memorabilia and records and books. That's funny. That's pretty. I just that's did, pretty entertaining. I just did a count on mine. I'm past six thousand. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. Pretty. Crazy. I have no idea what I have at this like CDs. I'm probably down to five hundred. Yeah, yeah. After you sold off a lot of stuff, yeah. Vinyl yeah, records. Get, I don't really know what I'm. Pretty at. good collection going. So, um, but yeah. So again, patrons, we appreciate you uh, funding our our habits, but also like funding these episodes so we can do them the proper way. And um, the, yeah. And our, uh, you know, website that hosts our website as well. And our, um, domain name hosting. Absolutely. Absolutely. And if you're a new patron and you haven't, uh, gone back and, you know, maybe you're new to the podcast and you signed up to be a patron, you know, make sure to check out on those, all those old episodes on the website. Um, you know, I mean, that's the first 160 episodes there. And I, it's funny, like I have people that will listen to our podcast um, who I talk to on social media and they're unaware sometimes. It's almost like they miss that part on the podcast where I'm like, go find our old episodes. Yeah. They're like, well, you guys did two episodes on Cathedral? I'm like, yeah, yeah. And I, I'll send them the link and they're like, holy shit. And I'm like, yeah, just go go play on the website. Like there's, you know, there's a lot, you know, um, and, and stuff like that. So um so yeah for sure you know definitely but we we do appreciate it and we're gonna we're gonna head out today with never believe and it's um it's very this is to me is the dark angel worship song this it sounds like parish and flames from from uh darkness descends quite a bit yeah and i don't know if you notice this i I notice it but you being a bigger fan of this band than i am the one of the opening riffs in this song reminded me like proto asphyx type riff um which again is connected in a weird way to pestilence, but it, it really go back and listen to it again. If you didn't, if you didn't pick up on it, but uh, it really did remind me of kind of some of the kind of riff patterns that you hear on some of those like earliest fix. It's maybe not as down tuned. It's not as death metally, but it's like not the as same. dirty. <laughs> yeah. Not as like muddy and dirty and shit like that, but it's, it sounds like a fucking tank at times, mm-hmm. like just like this, like moving behemoth of a riff coming through. Never believe. Nice. Um, and I really dig, I think it's a great way to close the album and a great way to close this episode because the chorus at the back end of the song kind of starts to dissolve and dissolve into like acoustics and the acoustics link back to deliver the suffering, which was the opening song. And so there's a little bit of cohesiveness and circularity to the, uh, to the album, which is cool. It's always nice when you got that auto reverse tape too, and it just kind of keeps going on and on. You got it. You got it. So so hopefully you enjoyed Devastation. Uh, Mark, what was your, your ultimate takeaway? Was this a, a hit for you, like a band that you, you end up digging when you listen to it? It was a hit. Yeah, it wasn't as uh, as uh, demanding, but it was a little more like kind of a, yeah, it's not a Holy palate Terror. cleanser after Holy exactly. Terror. Exactly. And I kind of uh, I stacked our regular episodes, too, with Sacred Reich, which Sacred Reich is definitely a palate cleanser after Holy Terror. It's very much like more like fun. <laughs> you know what I, I mean? I feel like, like I'm going to like – Sacred Reich more than I initially did. Yeah, I think you will. Uh, ignorance, especially, I, and I'll, I'll be the first to admit it. What Chris kind of pointed out when I was talking, we were talking to him about Sacred Reich this summer, and he was like, "Ah, man, have you heard like?" And he was playing stuff from later records, and the later stuff, it's just not that good. 
you know, they're yeah. just, they're kind of like a band that really came out fully formed and then kind of unfortunately grabbed onto some like trends that are, I don't know, that they kind of grabbed onto some of the wrong trends. I feel like, um, you know, Anthrax did that at times too. Mm-hmm. Sometimes like State of Euphoria and, and a few of the little things that were kind of bad there. And so, but I, yeah, I think you'll dig Ignorance. It's a, it's a fun record. And um, yeah, so we'll kind of go from there. But yeah, so uh, hopefully patrons, you enjoyed this and you enjoy our rambling as usual. Um, the feedback we get is people like when we kind of talk about our, what, what's going on in life and pop culture stuff that's happening. And so, Hey, Mark and I are always obliged to talk about that stuff. You know, don't, don't threaten us with a good time. So <laughs> talk um, about it all day. Exactly. Exactly. Um, so for never believe in adultery and devastation, I am Jason and I'm Mark. <laughs>